Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. My name is Scott Urbanic. I'm the college and missions pastor uh, here at Mercy Church. And anytime that I get a chance uh, to preach to my family, I, I get excited and I'm thankful. So for those of you that uh, came through the literally coldest, weirdest, wettest, awfulest morning to get here, uh, may the Lord bless you today. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being here. Um, so we have been in a series uh, called Hope is Here. That's what Christmas is. That's what it communicates. That's what Advent is. Hope has arrived. Someone entered into darkness to save us from this mess. Hope has arrived. Hope is here. Um, And so that's what we've been talking about over this series, and it's just been a blessing. Y'all, I've needed Christmas. Uh, I've needed the reminder. I've needed uh, to remember what it meant for Jesus to come here as God, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, but before we dive into our sermon, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. I want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever met someone and you immediately realize at, just after a couple of minutes that you have something like major in common with them? Right, something major in common with them. Uh, so maybe you grew up in the same town, maybe you grew up uh, the same part of the country, maybe you went to the same college, lived in the same dorm room, and you didn't even know it. Uh, something that instantly bonded you. Those friendships, you know, usually start pretty fast and get pretty deep, right? Those are the friendships that that you love. Those are the friendships that you hope to have, right? You know, someone that you have something in common with. You know, uh, I think it brings people together. I know for me, uh, growing up, I've had, uh, you know, just a a unique experience growing up. I've had a lot of different uh, things happen in my life. Uh, For one, I was raised in a different country uh, till I was in fifth grade. And I remember moving back uh, to the United States. And I was born in the United States, but I largely hadn't lived in the United States. So when I came back to the States, I didn't feel like I was an American, why? Because culturally, I was raised in the Dominican Republic, so I, I identified, like, I, the culture that I was brought up in, I felt Dominican. That's how I felt. I knew I was American by nationality, but, but felt culturally Dominican. So coming back to the States was kind of an awkward moment. It was kind of an awkward moment. I didn't feel like I belonged. And then, you know, throughout the course of time, you know, I'd meet other people uh, who were raised overseas or something like that. And then instantly when I met that person, I'm like, ah, you get it. Right? You get it. You know exactly, you know, what I went through. I know exactly what you went through. And as I've met those types of people, we have something really deep in common. 
You know, or maybe, you know, uh, for me, I grew, so then we moved uh, to the United States. We moved to just north of Miami, Florida, miles from where uh, the Miami Hurricanes played football. So when I moved to the States, you know, I, I loved football. I, I started watching the Miami Hurricanes, and it was, listen, the joy of all joys, right? Even though you Carolina fans are like, we smacked you the other day. Listen, there's no condemnation, all right? This is church. Y'all leave that out of here. Uh, and uh, so anyways, I grew up in that space, loved the Miami Hurricanes, but when I moved to North Carolina, uh, you know, anytime I run into a Miami Hurricane fan, it is like, it is amazing because, we're, you know, it's a small school, right? There aren't, aren't many of us. And a quick experience I had, I was walking through uh, a restaurant one time and, you know, it's one of those places where you, you're not supposed to be loud, right? But Miami Hurricane fans, no, they don't care. So, uh, so, so I'm, I'm sitting there for dinner and then out of nowhere, I hear, we got some canes over here. And so, all right. That right there, if you're from Miami, that makes sense. And I immediately knew that I probably know where that guy's from. And I asked him, hey, where are you from? And he's like, from this neighborhood. I was like, I know, yes, that's why you said that. I know exactly who you are. I don't need anything. Listen, we are tight. We're tight. <laughs> and that, those kinds of things, when they happen, they're special in friendships, especially. But there are also things in life where it's... They're harder things, right? Like if you've experienced, you know, like I have, you know, abuse. You know, I was sexually abused as a child. So if you meet someone who's gone through something like that, there is a moment where you can identify in a special way with someone that a lot of the other population of the world, they, don't, they just don't understand, um, or, you know, in college, I almost died. Uh, that's another story. Uh, I almost died when I was in college. And people who have been close to death or have a family member that's been close to death know what that is like. And when you, by the grace of God, are able to identify with someone, it changes something in that relationship in a meaningful and deep way. And what we're going to look at today is that Jesus and us, we have everything in common. When he became a man, when he came on earth, he did it to sympathize with us. So what we're going to look at today, if you will turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. To Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. And today we're going to see three things. Uh, in our sermon today, we're going to see that Jesus is like us. We're going to see that he's not like us. And lastly, we're going to see that he's making us like him. So, so Jesus is like us. He's not like us at all. <laughs> and then he's making us like him. But before we dive into these three points, uh, I'm going to walk through the first seven verses of chapter two of the book of Luke. Um, and we're going to pull out a lot of the richness that's in this passage. Uh, and then we're going to look at who Jesus is, why it matters, why he came, and why it's so beautiful that we worship this King Jesus in his birth on his birthday. Uh, will you pray with me? Uh, God, we love you this morning. God, I pray Oh, Jesus, make yourself beautiful this morning. Many of us have cold and weary hearts. Many of us have gone through a lot in the number of months. But Lord, that's why you came, because you understand. 
In fact, you're the only one who understands. So Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2, starting verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All right, so right away, you know, it's important for you to understand that, that Luke, the writer of this book, he was a physician, he was a historian, uh, so he took meticulous notes and details on the history of the church because these things are super important. So as we dive into this passage, you're going to see cities, you're going to see names, you're going to see uh, you know, a decree, all this stuff that's going on. And so you might be tempted to say, well, what does this all mean? Why? Let's get to the good stuff. Listen, this is not like my high school English papers where I felt like I needed to fill in the space to get 12 pages, right? Or, or enlarge the periods at the end of every paragraph, because if it's 10 pages and you enlarge the periods to 24, then by the end of it, it'll be, it'll be 12 pages. Some of your high school students are like, aha, right? No, this is not Luke just filling in space. Every word here is important. So Caesar Augustus, he was a new emperor, Okay, he was a newly appointed emperor. Uh, uh, little, you don't need to know a ton about him at this point, but basically, he wasn't a very good dude. He came to power through a lot of bloody wars and, and corruption and all sorts of stuff, and Quirinius was the governor who was tasked to basically execute this decree. Now, basically, what he wanted to do, in short, was... Um, Caesar Augustus, he wanted to see how big his kingdom was so that he could tax the people... Right? How much money could he get? He could tax the people. And secondly, to see how many of age males there were in his kingdom, just in case he needed to go to war again. So what you see here right away in these first two verses is that Jesus wasn't born into, uh, into luxury. He wasn't born into a time of peace where everything was beautiful and, and, and harmonious. No, Jesus was born into a dark world. He was born into a dark world. And the world didn't know it just yet, but this child would change the world. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So right here is where all these details come into place. Luke is showing us in this part right here that God, in fact, you look at all of this, what you see is there's this worldwide decree, everyone go to your hometown to be registered. All this stuff is going on. Think about this. You know, you and I, when we have to take a census, you know, this year I did it on my phone right? Not them. They had to travel, get on camels and donkeys and all sorts of stuff and go all the way to the place of their hometown to be registered. But here's what's amazing about this passage. According to prophecies all throughout the scripture, the scriptures say that Jesus had to be born where? Bethlehem. Were his parents in Bethlehem right now at this point? They were not. They were not. They weren't in Bethlehem, but that's no big deal to God. He'll just orchestrate a, a, a known world decree and, and all the people would go all around. Why? So that God could get his son 
to Nazareth. God is in control. Our God is in control. He has orchestrated this from the very beginning. From the very beginning of time, he promised that his son would come, but also promised where that son would be born. In Micah 5, 2, it says that the baby was to be born in Bethlehem, the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, question, what's old and from ancient of days from the book of Micah? Right? Well, well, there's all sorts of prophecies. If you look at Genesis 3.15, you see this promised son that's to come. It's the first promise of this Messiah right after the fall where, G, where, where the Lord God says uh, to, to, to Adam and Eve that there will be a child from their lineage that would come and would crush the head of the serpent, but that serpent would bruise his heel. This is from ancient of days. But what we need to see here is that all of history has been waiting for this moment. And like a supernova, this child has come into the earth. It's still dark. Things are still hard. Things are still bad, but things are about to start changing. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I love this. In verse 6, if you have your Bible, underline that. The time came. The time came. It wasn't, well, it happened to happen. Or what luck. He, he, he was in the right city at the right time. No, God did this. God orchestrated this. God is in control. But then while you see all this movement that's happening, right? You see worlds, people moving all over the place in this area, in this region, all so that this decree can happen. You know, so, 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 David, or so, so Joseph and Mary, they get to this place. And then what happens? Something strange. It says that there's no place for them in the end. They have nowhere to stay. It's like, okay, wait a minute, God. You orchestrated a, this decree in, in all the known world. That, Lord, did you, did you forget to book the Airbnb? Like, did you forget the detail, right? Lord, the devil's in the details, right? Like, no, the Lord did not forget to book them a place to stay. This was intentional. For this child, we'll see later, didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we're going to do today in the background of this passage, what we see right here is that this child has been born. This special, unique, fully God, yet fully man child. And today we're going to be looking at the beauty and the implications of that. So if you would, please turn with me to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Come on, y'all. I want to hear them pages ruffling. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, uh, 4 through 15 is the first thing that we're going to see. We're going to see that Jesus is like us. We're going to see that Jesus is like us. Let me read. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
Yet, uh, but one who in every respect, not some respects, not in most of them, or by and large, in most respects he can sympathize. No, but in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. So we see this passage, it says, since we have this great high priest. What does that mean, great high priest? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest who would who would do sacrifices for the forgiveness on, for sins on behalf of the people. And now, because of Christ, if you've put your faith in him, he now represents you to God. Because of his death, because of his life and, his, and the resurrection, he is now your high priest. And he's passed through, you know, it says that, but this high priest, he's special. He's different. How? He... He's like us. How is he like us? Because he's able to sympathize. He is able to sympathize. This means that he has experienced everything that it means to be human. He has experienced everything that it means to be human. Sickness, temptation, grief, sorrow. What it means to start a family business. Everything that it means to be human, he has experienced. He, ha- he can sympathize with us. Now, I don't know about you, but this hits me in a special way in Christmas, especially this year. The fact that God has experienced everything that I have. He knows and he's gone through it. He is like us. He, Jesus, was as human as you and I are. That is hard to wrap our head around. He is like us. You know, I heard one one theologian say it this way. uh, In a world full of suffering and pain, I can't imagine following a God that's immune to it. So what you see in the background of Luke chapter 2 is that Jesus wasn't born into luxury. He was born into poverty to parents who were scared and frightened. You know, no doctor. Right? They were put in a, in a manger, which was probably a cave. He entered into the darkness. Jesus entered into the darkness. Why? So that he can understand us. You know, it's almost as if anything that we've struggled with, whether it's temptation or, or whatever, it's almost like we can hear the Lord saying, you know what, Scott, I get it. Why, I've been there. I've been through that too. Come back to me. Let me show you the way. That is who he is. He is like us. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, There is no, uh, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man. Look, Timothy emphasizing that the man, the one who was like us. <laughs> He mediates for us because he was like us, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself uh, as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
Jesus was a man. He was like us. He can sympathize with us. He knows everything about who we are. He can relate to your deepest and darkest struggles. Anything you have gone through, he says, yes, I get it. He's like us. Now, while he is like us, in a completely different way, he's not like us at all. (laughs) He's not like us at all. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 says this, For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins. Why? Because he didn't have any sins. And for those of the people, since he did this once. He did this once and for all when he offered himself up. When he offered himself up for all on the cross of Christ. He offered himself up. So Jesus, he's not like us. He's not like us in the fact that when he was presented with sin and an opportunity to it, he said no. You and I, because of our sinful nature, we often say yes. Now, he can relate to it because he's gone through it. He's been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. This is why he can also be still be our high priest. We needed a perfect representative. In the Old Testament, we see that sinners stood before God to offer sacrifices for the people, for the shedding of blood for an animal, for the forgiveness of sins of the nation. But Jesus, once and for all, on the cross, did this for us, not like a sinful priest who had a need to sacrifice for his own sins, that he's committed or for the people who have, who, who've, who've committed millions of sins. No, he did it once and for all for us. We needed a perfect representative. The question is, why did we need this representative in the first place? Well, if you look back, uh, back in the garden in Genesis chapter three, uh, chapter two and three, what you see is the fall of man. And here's what happened. Uh, you know, God created everything. It was perfect. And then Adam and Eve came. They were, had a perfect relationship with God. And then a serpent, Satan, in the form of a serpent, came and tempted Eve and Adam while Adam was watching his wife, just standing there. <laughs> and when they sinned, a curse has been passed down. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, their failure created our need. And our need is big. And when you look at the way that Satan tempted them, what you see is that he offered them this fruit. And then when Eve saw that this fruit was was good for food, which is which is, uh, you know, the, the, the fleshly desire that she had. She, she wanted that fruit. And then when she saw, uh, you know, that it was beautiful, was like, man, that probably tastes really good. She saw that and she was like, I need it. She coveted that fruit. And then when, when she heard, remembered what God said and then remembered what Satan said, that it would make her wise and that it would make her like God, her pride welled up within her. And she took it, she ate it, 
because she wanted to be like God. Our first representatives failed us in that way. So we needed a new one. We needed new representatives. We needed a representative. Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, where our first parents failed, we see our King Jesus succeed. Right, because what Satan did is he came onto the scene, and and uh, and the Holy Spirit sent out Jesus into the wilderness, and then he was tempted for forty days, or he was he was he was fasting for forty days, and the devil came in the same way and tempted our King Jesus just like he tempted Adam and Eve. Yet our King Jesus, because he's not like us, persevered. And he didn't sin when given he was he didn't sin when he was given the opportunity. Christ was victorious. What I want you to see in this section, while he is not like us, there there is no sin that you have gone through that he does not understand what it means to be tempted like. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, those were what those three sins kind of categorized in the garden and also in the wilderness with Christ. He knows what it means. He knows what it means to be tempted. He knows what it means to go through and be presented with the opportunity for sin, but he also knows what it means to say no. So for us and for you and I, when we go to our, to our king, when we go to Christ, when we pray to him saying, Lord, I am tempted, it is almost as if we can hear him saying, you know what, Scott? Yes, I get that. I've been there myself. But I was victorious, and because of that, I can help show you your way out. So follow me. Follow me. So we've seen that Jesus is like us in that he was a man. (laughs) You know, tempted, struggled in every way just like us. And then we see that he's not like us. He's not like us in the fact that when when he was presented with sin, he said no. When we said yes... And lastly, Jesus is making us like him. Jesus is making us like him. Now, he makes us like him in two ways. The first way is in his holiness. He makes us like him in his holiness. And secondly, he makes us like him in his purpose. He makes us like him in his holiness and then in his purpose. So in his holiness, if you'll flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says this. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We read that again. For by a single offering, he has perfected. For how long? (laughs) For all time. For all time, those who are being sanctified. And those who are being sanctified are those who have, been, who have given and surrendered their life to Jesus. Now, being sanctified means to be changed into his likeness. That's what the process of sanctification is. We're being made more and more like Jesus. Because before, with our first representatives, with Adam and Eve, what happened is when, when we were born, for the rest of mankind, we we're born into this sin nature. You know, theologians call it the sin of Adam. Right, we're born into this sin nature, 
And what happens upon salvation is the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit starts doing work on us. He starts doing work on us. He starts changing us. He starts saying, you know what? You used to want this. You used to have a taste for that sin. But now I'm going to change your taste buds. I'm going to change your wants. I'm going to change your desires. So what happens is once we start following Jesus, we start to change. And I don't know if you remember, I think one of our major problems is is we forget what it used to be like to be lost. We forget what it used to be like to only know and to only have a taste for sin. And we would give ourselves to that and we would eat of it and eat of it and eat of it only to be left wanting and feeling empty and dry and purposeless and, and hopeless. And, and by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He starts to change us. Now, I wish it was like, bam, you're done with that. You know, I wish, you know, sometimes He does that, but it's not always how that works. Now, if we get saved, does that mean that all of our sins will never struggle again? Well, of course not. <laughs> Those of you who are in Christ know that. We still struggle in this flesh, right? We still struggle, but here's what's beautiful. One day we won't struggle anymore. There's a time and there's a place when the time came. When the time came for us, one day we will be glorified with him in heaven. Sin will be no more for us. We won't have a taste for sin any longer. We won't want it. It won't even be present. We won't even have a category for it. There will be no category for sin. There will be no category for struggle. There will be no category for anything evil ever again. Y'all, in this season, in this year, my flesh has been weak. In this season and in this year, because of the, it's like, this season has been a pressure cooker, right? It's like all of our idols have been exposed and, and drawn out and, and all this stuff. It's, I was like, man, this is a lot uglier than I thought it was. I thought I grew a lot more than I had. But what's crazy is that when you're, the longer you follow Jesus and the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize, man, my sin runs deeper than I ever thought was possible. But at the same time, as I see that gap growing between the holiness of God and my sin, I also see that his grace is multiplied all the more for me and all the more for you. So he makes us like him in his holiness. Praise God, right? And then we see that he makes us like him in his purpose. He makes us like him in his purpose. So uh, to... To see this, if you'll flip back over to Luke chapter 2. Flip back over. I want to hear them pages. Let's go. I want to hear them pages. All right, Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to go back to verse 7. And I want you to see the state in which Jesus was born in. It says that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What we have to see here is that Jesus came in humility. He came in humility. You would think the king of the universe, if you look at John chapter 1, he created all this. 
He's the Word become flesh. God became a man. You would think he would come, bam, and take everything out and just gruel and conquer right away. No, he didn't do that. He came vulnerable as a child. Vulnerable to scared parents. Like, what are we going to do with this baby? That angel told me this baby was God. Can you imagine that? But what we see here is that God the Father gave his son a purpose. God the Father gave his son a purpose, and his purpose was to seek and to save the lost. To save the world from their sins. To reconcile his family back to himself. And for us, he gives us that same purpose. For us, little lights of Christ to go out into a dark world. Because listen, there's a God that loves them. And all he wants us to do is to go and to know him and to know him as best we can because he is a God that loves us and is sanctifying us. And there is no end to the well of knowledge of who he is. We could spend all of eternity trying to know him and never reach the end. Yet at that same time, there is a God named Jesus, a God-man, who knows you and knows your friend who does not know Jesus better than they know themselves. And all we need to do is make an introduction. That's all we need to do. Make an introduction. We are, he is making us like him in his purpose. Jesus was sent by his father into the darkness and he sends us to, he sends us to, you know, I was thinking of some ways to, you know, CMOs coming up in a number of, uh, I guess, all this month, and, and, and the Christmas missions offering is something we do every year. And because what we want to do is we want to tell our city and, and our nation and our world that hope is here. Hope has come. But there's places all around the world, all in our city and our country where that is not true. They don't know no one's made an introduction to the person that understands everything they've ever been through. So what I want to do is I want to show you a picture of what making us like him and his purpose looks like. Jack, if you could throw that up. So right there um, is one of our uh, missionary partners in South Asia. Now, a Mercy Church team, mission trip team, went uh, a couple years ago and the man in that bathtub, um, our church was able to share the gospel with him. Now, he didn't come to faith right away. He didn't come to faith right away, but our missionary partners stayed, you know, stayed going with him and, and walked with him. Now, he is one of the first believers from his people group in history. In history. Now, we need, people, we need people who are going into the darkness here in our city. We need people going all over our country with the hope of, you know, with the hope of Jesus. And right here, I just want you to see a picture of what intro, making introductions looks like. This missionary 
Ah, followed up with him. And two years later, gave his life to Jesus. Now his wife has come to know Jesus. And, and every Sunday, you know what they're doing? They're doing the same thing we're doing. A lot of us are, he's watching church on Zoom. <laughs> he's making us like him in his purpose. Church, I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know what Christmas needs to be for you this year, but I think you need to be reminded that Jesus was just like you. He was just like you, but also because of his sinless life, his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, he wasn't like you at all. And because of that, if you've ever put your faith in him, if you've ever put your trust in him, then he will represent you to God and say, that's my child, bought with my blood. We have a God who loves us, and he also makes us like him now all the way to completion and glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Lord, we're so thankful that, that you were fully like us. Lord, I can't imagine worshiping a God who knew nothing of what it meant to struggle, to be in pain, to be tempted just like I've been tempted to sin. Yet, God, I also can't imagine worshiping a God that was like me completely. <laughs> But God, you were not like me. You were perfect, sinless. And you entered into a dark world coming after your children to come after me. God, for that, I say thank you. We say thank you, Lord. Oh, God. I also thank you that you are making us like you. Lord, there, there is at times when I, I look around in the world, I look around at what's happening, I look around at myself, and I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know why I keep going to that, why I keep sinning the way that I do. But Lord, I love that you... And as, as, as I look back on my life, and I think as every person who's been following Jesus for at least a little while, Lord, we can see that you've changed us. We're not who we used to be. And by your grace, one day when we meet you, we will be perfected. Oh, Lord, I can't wait for that. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.